All right, let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for your word, that your word is true, and that if we can just base our lives on what you say, because you'll never say anything that's not true. If we'll just base our lives on what you say, we'll always be on the right track. If we'll act according to what you say, we'll be doing the right thing. Father, tonight we give you thanks and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, we've been around long enough, most of us in this room, that we know that when somebody says, God is good, everybody else says, all the time. And then we say, all the time, God is good. And so, the question is, is there ever time, ever a time that God's not good? No, there's never a time. God is good. He's always good. Somebody once said, if it ain't good, it ain't God. I mean, it's, it's, he's good. God is good. Jesus told the rich young ruler, he said, God is good. The psalmist said that God is good. We serve a good God. I mean, we know that God does good. It's the devil that does the evil things. So then the Bible says in Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says, for we are God's own handiwork. His workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which He prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which He prearranged and made ready for us to live. God's plan for us is good, because God is good. We're supposed, according to that passage of Scripture, we're supposed to live the good life, that he's already arranged for us. Sometimes we get off of get out of the arrangement a little bit, but God's arrangement is good. We have a path of goodness. God is good. If we think about creation for just a minute, everything that God created, he declared it to be good. Why did he create all of those good things? He created them for man. His intent was to have a family. He created all those things with man in his mind. I mean, I can just think about God creating it and in the back of his mind thinking, wow, Adam is really going to like that. Yes? And, and I can see that, 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 that Jesus said that he's preparing a place for us. I think when we get there, he's, got, he's, th he's thinking, you know, this is, Randy is really going to like this right here. And he's creating good things because he is good. Everything God created was good. Then after he created Adam and Eve, it was very good. Because he, he, he liked doing that. The scripture says in 1 Timothy 6.17, it says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. God's intent is that we enjoy. He doesn't mind us having things. He created things for us to enjoy. He gives us things to enjoy. We're to love God, to love people, and enjoy things. I don't know how wise it is to love things because things can't love you back. But He gave us things to enjoy. He's still in the creating mode, creating things that we can enjoy. When you think about the creation, on the seventh day, God rested. Not because he was tired, but because he was finished. All right? 
and you think about creation. What was the last thing that God did? Most people say, well, he created man. Well, that isn't exactly right. The last thing he did was he created man, but the last thing he did was he blessed man. The scripture says, and God said, let us make man in our own image, after our own likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth. So God created him and he culminated the creation with the blessing of Adam and Eve. He blessed them. He blessed them. We've talked about blessing in this group before, and I've identified it as, as an empowerment to rise to the highest place. Like a, a king conferring knighthood on the person who's the knight, and it tells him to rise up in authority to become all that a knight is supposed to be. God blessed Adam and Eve, and he empowered them to rise to the highest place that they could rise to in life. We understand that, that, that when the blessing of the Lord has to be an empowerment because the scripture says in Proverbs 10.22, it says that the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. The blessing makes rich. So the blessing of the Lord is an empowerment that causes us to rise to a higher place. So once God pronounced the blessing on the man and within the man, he intended now for the blessing in the man to do the work. He blessed the man. He gave him authority. He gave him seed. And he intended for the blessing that God put on him, the, the, the empowerment to rise, he intended for that blessing in the man to finish the job that God could have... Could, he, wanted, he, wanted, he, wanted, he wanted the Garden of Eden, literally, to cover the earth because he gave man the, the task to... He said, make it grow. And he intended for man to make the garden grow throughout the earth. Right? He intends for his blessing in our lives to do that very same thing now. The scripture says in Hebrews 4.3, it says, For which we have believed, for we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, I have sworn in my wrath that if they will shall enter my, into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. How can we enter into rest? Because we've been blessed by God. The scripture says that Jesus Christ came to bless us. And so this empowerment by, by God lets that happen. That's why the Bible says, let us therefore labor to enter into the rest. So, we are the blessed. I want you to think about this before I get to really what I'm going to talk about tonight. God is good. He is good and he created man. Did God ever curse the man? The man Adam. When you look at scripture, he couldn't have cursed him. Because he told Balaam to tell Balak, he said, you tell him that I can't curse whom I have blessed. So God never cursed Adam. He blessed him. All right. He pronounced the blessing on Adam in Genesis chapter 1. He announced, didn't pronounce, but he announced the curse in Genesis chapter 3. But it wasn't, an, he never said, Adam, you are now cursed. Never said it. He said the ground is cursed. He didn't curse Adam. He warned Adam. 
He said, through sin, the curse has been released. The ground is cursed. It's been released. And he was telling, he wasn't saying, okay, you're saddled to be cursed for the rest of your days. He didn't tell him that. If you think about that whole story, he said there was a curse, but he said the woman's seed was going to bruise Satan's head. Now, I'm not a biologist, but my understanding is that women don't have seeds. <laughs> that men have the seed. And yet God told her her seed. Because the seed would be the son of God. And that seed would bruise the serpent's head. So right there he was saying, you released the curse, but I'm going to empower you to overcome it with a blessing, with my empowerment within you. God wasn't cursing him. He was letting him know what was going on so that man would have the ability to cancel the effects of the curse that had been released. Adam understood that God was on his side. He had to. He taught Cain and Abel how to offer sacrifices. The sacrifice wasn't to appease God. It was an act of covenant that was released in answer to the curse. I mean, those blood sacrifices in the Old Testament, they weren't the, the total answer. They were a temporary answer because Jesus' blood was shed to bring us into the real uh, covenant relationship with God. So God, when he blessed man, he never lifted the blessing. The curse came, and we have to learn how to live in the empowerment of, the, of his blessing to stop the curse. Does that make sense to anybody? Okay. Now, we're blessed because God loves us. He loves us very much. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So the good gifts come from the Father. Psalm 8 says this in verse 4. It says, For what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. He said, man, man, when it says angels, the word is Elohim. He made man lower than the Godhead, and it says that he gave him dominion in the earth over the works of God's hands. Mankind is blessed by God, and the intent of God is for us to have dominion in the earth. That's what he gave Adam in the beginning, dominion, not over people, over the earth. It's not right for us to have dominion over people and make them slaves, but it's right for us to have dominion in the earth. It says God made man to have dominion over the earth. The Bible says in Psalm 68:19, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Selah. Think about that. Daily loads us with benefits. God is good. He loves us. He has blessed us because he loves us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, Eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him, but God has revealed them to us by his Spirit. We haven't even seen them or heard them yet, but God is revealing them to us by his Spirit. All of these great things that he wants, wants to do for us. In John 17, 23, Jesus said, talking to the Father, he said, Thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So let's just think about it for a minute. The curse is all around, but we are blessed by God. That's different than when you sneeze and somebody says, bless you. By the way, that came from the, the Middle Ages 
when you sneezed, people thought your spirit came out of you. And they thought if they said, bless you, somehow you could get it back. When they say, I'm blessed, well, I think they're on the right track. We're blessed because we're empowered to accomplish what God has put us on the planet to do. Because he loves us. He favors us. He graces us because he loves us. And as we believe him, then we have the ability to do whatever he's called us to do. Because he's blessed us. And that brings us to Matthew chapter 9, verse 22. When the guy, remember we talked, we've read this for several weeks now. When the man who couldn't get the demon cast out of his son, Jesus comes off the mountain. He comes to the guy and they can't get the demon out. And the guy says to Jesus, because his disciples couldn't do it, he says, but if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus said, you say to me, if you can do anything, why, all things are possible to him that believes. If we are the blessed of God and God has empowered us, He hasn't cursed us. He's blessed us. We need to know that this verse is true. That if we can believe, all things are possible. Because God loves us, He wants us to know that nothing that is good is impossible if we can believe. That's what He's promised. The only if is not about His ability or His willingness. The only if is if we can believe. Listen, I really believe the the world is ours to reach if we can believe. Our community is ours to change if we can believe. I mean, our families are ours to see the power of God penetrate through if we can believe. You see, receiving a promise for our health, our families, our church is ours if we can believe. Not about our works, but our confidence in God as we exercise the authority he's given us because he's blessed us. He wants that to happen. Our belief releases his grace that opens the door that no man can shut. It releases that anointing that no demon can resist. Truly, healing, deliverance, salvation in every area of life comes when we simply believe the promises and are willing to fight the fight of faith until we receive the manifestation of what he said. The Bible is filled with regular people like you and me that operate in the power of God doing the impossible. They're anointed, but they're regular people. I love that the scripture shows us the flaws in these great men and women of God. And it shows us that we, as God calls us and we believe him, can do whatever he tells us to do. Now, we don't do it in our own power. It's his power, but it comes as we believe what he says. Grace Favor is all over us as we live by faith in obedience to his word. So we're going going to talk a little bit more about authority. We've talked about that the impossible is not impossible with God. We saw, we talked about David and Goliath, that we've got to take control away from the enemy. We found that we looked at Elijah that we have authority and we need to exercise that authority. We don't need to let the devil deceive us into making us think we can't have what is rightfully ours according to what God has promised us. The devil will come and say, it can't happen, it won't happen. Have you ever seen anybody else do that? That's what he'll say. Has, do you know anybody else who's been healed of that? And the answer is, I don't have to. I know God. I know what he said. The devil says, do you know anybody else who's ever gotten out of that kind of mess? I don't know many people who have the kind of messes all the time. But I know God and he's, he's faithful to us. 
I heard a story about an old snake who went to see his doctor. And he said, Doctor, I need something for my eyes. I can't see very well these days. So the doctor fixes him up with a pair of glasses and tells him to come back in two weeks. Two weeks later, the snake comes back and, and he tells the doctor, he said, he said I'm very depressed. And the doctor said, well, what's the problem? Didn't the glasses help you? And, and the snake said, the glasses are fine, Doc, but I just discovered I've been living with a water hose for the past two years. <laughs> Sometimes we believe what the devil says and we're living with the water hose. And we need to understand God will show us what he wants us to see. He will tell us what we're supposed to do. And when we will stop believing what the devil says, we'll release God's victory as we operate in the principles of God's victory. The Bible says this in Philippians 1, verse 28. This is out of the Amplified Bible. It says, And do not for a moment be frightened or intimidated in anything by your opponents and adversaries, for such constancy and fearlessness will be a clear sign, proof and seal to them of their impending destruction, but a sure token of evidence of your deliverance and salvation, and that from God. We're not supposed to be the ones who are intimidated. Just because, just because it doesn't seem like it's working right this second doesn't mean it's not going to work. Because the Word works when we work the Word. Joe and I were talking a few minutes ago as we were having dinner. We are talking about faith that moves a mountain. Sometimes you talk to that mountain, and I mean it, all of it gets up and jumps into the sea. Sometimes you talk to the mountain, and sometimes it gets up one rock at a time. But you keep talking to it. You keep believing God. You keep standing on what God has promised you. And the, and the mountains, Jesus said, it has to obey you. But you've got to talk to it. Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt you. He said, I give you authority. The word first power. I give you authority over all that the devil is doing. See, we have this idea that, that, that our country is lost because of what the devil's doing. He doesn't have that kind of power. We have the kind of authority to stop him, though, if the church would stand and, uh, and do what we're supposed to do. I mean, our, our country is blessed at our words, at our command. Jesus said, you're of God's little children and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We are like the policeman on the corner commanding the traffic to stop or allowing it to go. We have the authority. Jesus said in Mark 16, 17, And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They'll cast out devils. Listen, we're not the ones who are yielding to the devil. He's the one who's yielding to us. We get so afraid, uh, not we, but people I've seen in church services, anytime there's a demonic manifestation, the Christians just scatter because they're afraid of it. <laughs> One time we're casting out a de out of church service, casting out a demon in, in, in the office and trying to get this demon to come out. And I open the door to, to get an usher to go get me some water. And the ushers are standing up against the wall. <laughs> I mean, they were absolutely frightened beyond measure because they didn't know what to do. And I looked at them and I said, what are you doing? And they said, oh, we're just praying for you, Pastor. We're just praying for you. And I said, just go get me some water. We're not to be the ones that are frightened. The demons ought to be frightened of us. They should, they should be concerned every day when I wake up and when you wake up. Jesus said, in my name, they'll cast out devils. Not one single time in the New Testament 
Is the church ever told to pray that God the Father or that Jesus would do anything against the devil? Did you know that? We've been assigned to stand against the devil. We've been assigned to cast out demons. You see, if we're, if we're asking, oh God, please stop the devil. God's going to be saying, oh, that's your job. I've assigned you. You stop the devil. You see, the believer is told to do something about the devil. And you have the authority to do it. If the devil is messing with your family, you've got to take a stand. And you've got to drive him out. The church is not to pray to God about the devil. We're to exercise authority over him in Jesus' name. I think we don't know that. I think that people have forgotten that. I think we've been we've been saying saying you know it's okay honey God will get rid of him for you no no honey let me sh- let me share with you how you get rid of him in your life we take authority over the devil the Bible says in James four seven resist the devil and he will flee from you resist him our job is to resist our job is to resist. And he will flee. The authority is mine whether I feel like it or not. When the policeman walks out in the middle of the street, he might have the worst cold he's ever had, but when he blows the whistle and holds out his hand, the truck stops no matter how he feels. It's ours. It doesn't matter how we feel. Authority has nothing to do with feelings. We must exercise authority. I think the church, we just have allowed the devil to run over us for too long. It's time for us to stand up and say, stop right there. Not one more inch. In fact, you back up. Jesus said that he gave us the keys and that we are, we are to assault the gates of hell. That means not wait for hell to come to us. We go there. And we deal with it. The church is supposed to have that kind of authority. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. This is the American Standard Version. Be sober. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. He may not devour everybody. It says, Whom withstand steadfast in your faith, knowing the same sufferings are accomplished in your brethren who are in the world. Your faith. Stand steadfast in your faith. We have the authority to stop him. The Bible says in Romans 5, 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, talking about Adam, much more, I love the words, much more, they which receive abundance of grace, that's us, and the gift of righteousness, that's us, shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. We are to be reigning in life. We are to be having authority. It's ours. We've got to take authority over the devil. Listen, victory is ours. It's ours for the taking. When we grab hold of that, we have, the, we have the right. We have the authority because God loves us and he has blessed us. And we can stand in what he's called us to do. Now, having said all that, when you know your authority, when you comprehend his love, you have to expect it to work. Many Christians know about their authority in their heads. They know about it, but don't really expect it to work. You've got to know that it's going to work. 
Operating in authority over the devil to most Christians is just theory to them. They know some things about it. You know, I was fortunate when I was filled with the Spirit, and I've told you this before, the very first series of tapes I ever got was a series of, of cassette tapes. I don't even know if I had a cassette player. I probably had to borrow one. From a guy named Derek Prince. And it was How to Cast Out Devils. I thought that was what the Christian life was about, was casting out devils. Every place I went, I went looking for devils. I learned right off the bat, I didn't have to be afraid. That I had authority over every demon. I, I sometimes wish every Christian could go through that very same thing. Just learn how to have authority over the devil. Just learn how. That God loves me. Jesus died for me. He sent, He allowed the Holy Spirit to come after him. He filled me up. And now because of this supernatural anointing and power and God's love inside of me, I have authority over the devil. And every Christian, I know that. It, it can't be something mental. It can't be a theory. I mean, if you ask most Christians today if they believed they have authority over sickness, demon power, all those things, they'd probably say, I hope so. I hope so. Oh, I sure hope so. We're, we're hoping and a praying that we do. I mean, we, we, I wish that was true. See, if we're hoping and praying that things are going to work out for good and that we can cast out the demon, then we're not expecting to cast out the demon. I mean, demons sometimes are like horses. Have you, ever, have you ever ridden a horse very much? You get around a horse, if they know you're afraid of it, they're in charge. I mean, if you ever mount up on a horse and he knows you don't know what you're doing, or she, they're the ones in charge. They're going to go back to the barn when they want to. <laughs> they're, not go they're never going to gallop. They're not going to run. They're going to walk. And you're never going to get them to go up the hill. or No, down the hill is harder. They're not going to do that if they know you're not in charge. Demons are like that. They pick it up pretty quick if you don't really believe it. We got to know that we know that the Word of God will work. And the only way we know that we know that it works is when we meditate in it long enough that it drops, it drops from my, my mouth and my mind into my spirit. And all of a sudden, I know that's right. I know that's true. You see, God loves us. And God is good all the time. And he expects us to operate in the realm of the Spirit as people of authority. He wants us to stand in that. We must expect him. I expect this to happen. I expect he will always honor his word, even if I don't see it immediately. You see, every one of us in this room, we have staked our eternal security in the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And when I confessed with my mouth and believed in my heart that Jesus is Lord, I am sure that I'm sure I'm sure I'm going to heaven when I die. I need to be as convinced of the fact that believers cast out devils in his name and that we have the authority to stop them, that God put us here with his authority. We must expect it. Jesus spoke in authority to the fig tree. One of my favorite stories in the Bible when he said, let no man eat fruit from thee hereafter forever. That's a pretty strong command when he looked at that tree. And I, when, I was, when I was a kid, I thought, man, that poor fig tree. 
I felt bad for it. But the fig tree was saying, I've got figs, I've got figs. And Jesus was hungry. And he went to the fig tree. And then the fig tree said, ha ha, you can't get your need met. And Jesus is like, no, I'm a covenant partner. Because the, the children of God don't go hungry. Let no man eat fruit from thee hereafter forever. And he walked away from it. He never turned around to look at it. He never said, God, Father, I pray in my name that you would make it die because of this. He spoke in authority one time to the tree. Turned around and they went on the temple. This was a day, wow, Jesus cursed the fig tree. They went to the temple. He drove out the people with the whip. It was one it was the one day maybe you didn't want to be around Jesus. No, it would probably been fun to be around Jesus. As long as you're on his side, you're okay. I mean, the fig tree got cursed. These people got driven out with a whip. I mean, but he spoke in authority. The next day they come to town, and this is obviously my paraphrase for this story. When they get by that tree, Peter looks at it and says, Golly, Jesus. That, that tree is dead. I'm sure Jesus is like, well, of course it's dead. I told you. I told it to die. When did it die? The Bible says in, in, in Matthew's gospel, it dried, it died and dried up from the roots. The moment Jesus spoke to it, it died. In the roots, it began to die. And the next day, it was withered away because Jesus spoke in authority, not as the Son of God, but as the Son of Man, because he taught us how to live in authority in the earth. He wasn't afraid of the demon. He wasn't afraid of fig trees. But here's the thing about Jesus. He spoke to stuff, not just to people, not just to demons. He spoke to a tree, and it obeyed him. He spoke to, he spoke to a storm, and it obeyed him, because he spoke with authority. He expected the word to work. I mean, it, the moment he said that, it died. See, he loves us. He gave us authority to call on God's miraculous provision and overcome the natural and see the supernatural take place. But we've got to believe the word. We've got to believe what he told us to do. When he got out there in the storm, he said, let's go to the other side. That's the word of God. That means we're getting to the other side. They got in the storm, and the devil said, they got in the water, the devil said, you're not going, and a big storm came up. But Jesus' word was, let's go to the other side. And so when the storm arose, Jesus stood up and spoke to that which was contrary to the word of God, and he said, hush. Literally, I think in the Greek it says, be muzzled, and immediately it stopped. And they went to the other side. Because the word works when we work the word. That's what authority is. Jesus understand that. The psalmist said in, in Psalm 23, 13, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David expected to be delivered. True belief provides supernatural expectation. Christians need to expect the word to work. Here's what happens most of the time. I bind you in Jesus' name. I wonder what will happen if it doesn't work. I command you, Satan, stop it now in the name of Jesus. By the way, your emotions and your anger doesn't stop it any better than I command you in Jesus' name to stop it. 
But what happens when we say that and the next thought is, I wonder if it, I wonder if it really worked. Or more than that, the devil comes around and says, you can't do that to me. Remember what you said yesterday? Remember that bad word you said? Remember that thought you had? You hadn't forgiven your cousin yet. You, you have authority. And don't let the devil talk you out of it. We need to expect it to work. Expectation has a lot to do with this. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, he said, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. This next phrase is really cool. According to my earnest expectation and my hope. Paul said, I'm expecting this to work. He was in prison at the time. He's talking about people that are preaching the gospel for mixed reasons. Some people are preaching to get Paul in more trouble. Some people are emboldened by his faith to preach. But Paul knows the word's getting out no matter what. But he says, all of this stuff is going to happen for my salvation, my deliverance, my rescue, my being well, my being whole, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, all that by those two things, according to my earnest expectation. The phrase earnest expectation means intense anticipation. He was intensely anticipating it. He intensely anticipated that the promise of God is true and would be made manifest in his life. He expected it to happen. One of the main ingredients that's missing from the body of Christ is expectation. Expectation. Well, you know, that works for Pastor Jackie, but I don't know if it would work for me. God's no respecter of persons. Well, you know, you see, you, you, you know, when Oral Roberts was alive, it worked. We don't expect it. I understand that, that Brother Roberts had, had a tremendous anointing and a, and a gift in an area. Pastor Jackie has a, a gift in an area. But we need to expect that what God says is true. People go to church and don't really expect much. Yeah. Don't expect much. When the worship it doesn't doesn't move them very much, and they don't feel anything, it's the worship team's fault because they weren't anointed. See, our expectation is paramount in the operation of faith. It's paramount. I went to church this past Sunday at another church in town when my son-in-law was leading the worship, and. Uh, I get there, and, and I, I said, well, you, you pick where you want us to, to sit, because I was going to sit with him. And so we're, we, we sit down at this table, and you know, like coffee shop tables, and there are pews around and stuff. But we sit at this table, and we sit down, and there's this like bowl of grape juice and a biscuit that you can get at kind of the Chicken Express, you know, the roll that you can get there. And I'm looking at that. Now, I lost all expectation at this very second. I'm thinking, if we're doing communion with that cup and that piece of bread, I'm going to be first because I am not drinking grape juice after these other people. I'm thinking, it is just not going to happen. I mean, I'm thinking, in my mind, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, if it was wine, maybe, I don't think there is, but maybe there's enough alcohol to kill the germs. Maybe. But I could tell it was grape juice. I mean, I think it had to be Everclear or something to kill all the germs. I'm not positive. But there's this, there's this... 
All of a sudden, I didn't have any expectation that God could protect me from all these germs. And so the preacher was preaching, and he's talking away. And, and every now and then, my eyes would wander back to that bowl. And I think, I'm going to be the first to drink it. If we're doing this, I'm drinking it first. I'm not drinking after these people. I don't even know these people. I'm not doing that. And so my expectation was getting bigger and bigger because I'm expecting to now when they say, drink the juice, I'm grabbing it. <laughs> I'm going to drink it first. So we finally get to the communion, you know, and I'm looking. And this lady reaches over and grabs it before I got to it. And I thought, I'm just going to have to go to the bathroom or something. I'm going to pretend that I'm coughing. I'm not going to drink after these people. I'm just not going to do it. Well, then they, they did what they did, and she dunked it in, the, in there and ate the bread. I thought, oh, well, of course. <laughs> Even that, there were floaties in the, in the juice. Yeah. But people go to church, and they're not expecting God to move. They're expecting someone else to do it all not expecting to encounter him, not expecting his power. We, we, we fight against the devil, and we're hoping that maybe it'll work. We need to have this expectation. Expect God to do something. Peter and John went to the temple. You know, they met the lame man on the way. I love what it says in Acts 3. And, and Peter said, look at us. And he said, he gave heed to them, expecting to receive something from them. Now, he wasn't expecting what he got, but he was expecting something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have given by thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the t into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. The guy didn't know what to expect when, G when Peter said, Look at me. Peter was expecting something. And the guy got something he never expected. You know, I've told you about when I went to he hear Catherine Coleman back in 1973. What I never have forgotten in my life is standing out on the, on the front porch of the municipal auditorium here in town and the eyes of the people that were going in that room. They expected to get something. They were expecting to be healed. I mean... I think that was probably most of her ministry was the people came and they expected to get healed. They expected God to move. I mean, I've been to a Benny Hinn meeting and seen the exact same look in people's eyes. They expect it. Expectation is everything. God rested on the seventh day because he expected us to operate in his blessing and utilize his authority. We read the passage. He gave man dominion over all the earth. And then he gave him all the seed. And he said, you know what? With authority and seed, you can do anything I tell you to do. Anything. You can have it all. We've got to expect this blessing that God put on us to produce his will. We've got to expect that when we sow the seed, whether it's seed of money, but mostly seed of words, that it will produce what God said it will produce. And we've got to expect it to come to pass. There's a huge difference between I hope so and the true word for hope in the New Testament. The Bible says in Romans 8.24, for we are saved by hope. Hope. The word saved, of course, it's sozo, is healed, rescued, delivered, made well, and made whole. Hope doesn't mean wish. 
The word hope means it means intense, extreme expectation. We need to know that salvation comes when we have expectation in what God has promised us. We expect what he said is true. We used to sing that song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. But that word hope doesn't mean wish. It means extreme expectation. I have extreme expectation that what he's promised, he will do when I believe. Man, I expect when I say, I bind you, Satan, he's bound. I don't assume it, but I expect God to honor his word. I know the first time my son Ryan said to his sister Stephanie, I bind you in Jesus' name. He expected it to happen, and she let go of him. It stunned her, actually. She didn't know what to do. (laughs) We have authority. We have to operate in it by faith. Just like the policeman believes that when he holds out his hand, they're going to stop. And if they don't stop, he believes when he calls for backup, they're going to come. We have to have that kind of expectation. We've got to believe the word more than we believe the lies of the devil, the circumstances. We must expect God to honor his word. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you've given us authority in the earth. That we have the authority to stand against the devil. That we have the authority in the earth to cast him out. Father, I thank you tonight for your word and your faithfulness to it. I thank you for your blessing that's in our lives and for your love. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.